I always liked writing stories that didn't need to be written, but were uh, what I thought were good stories or funny stories or stories that, you know, maybe someone would laugh at or smile about. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. It's really fun having Alex Delaney on the show. You may know Alex from his time working at Bon Appetit as a writer covering home cooking, wine, cocktails, and naturally processed coffee, respect to that, as well as a series of memorable YouTube videos that have been streamed millions of times on the internet. But since leaving BA in early 2021, Alex has been busy working as a consultant, podcaster, wine educator, and most recently as the author of a really cool city guide called Everything Good. In this wide-ranging conversation, we talk about his time working at Details and later BA, where he rose to become drinks editor and write exhaustive guides about Amaro, coffee subscriptions, and regional pizza styles. We also go over some of his favorite places on his beloved Lower East Side, a.k.a. Dime Square, a.k.a. one of New York's most vibrant and controversial neighborhoods. It's a really fun conversation with Alex, and I hope you enjoy it. Alex Delaney, welcome to Taste Podcast. Matt, thank you for having me. I, I've uh, I don't know you. We've we just met. We are new acquaintances. New acquaintances yes. in the building. But um, I mean, I got to know you through your feed, uh, Instagram mostly, but other kind of feeds. You know, we can talk about feeds and digital strategy. Yes. Just kidding, not one of those podcasts. <laughs> we should, wait, I think I'm in the wrong place. Yeah, let's, let's, <laughs> let's talk about like Peter Kafka style, like uh, the future of media. No, but I I really like um. You've got, you just got such um, enthusiasm. You're enthusiastic. You're a fan, and I, I really appreciate that. And I, I like it's a mix of like coffee and vinyl, rare books, menswear, and downtown New York. Yes, um, it's all about rabbit holes for you. You're like you dive into these rabbit holes, and I, I just respect it because you know enthusiasm. It's it's like generally like love of things is hard to find. People have agendas when they post shit on Instagram. So my question, just to set that up, is, you know, is there something that's giving you the most joy out of, like, all of these subcategories? Oh, damn. Um, I, well, the, the answer is always everything all at once is where I, <laughs> is where I get the most joy. So yeah. menswear, books, music, everything at the same time. But uh, definitely right now I'm riding the art books high. I'm very much into uh, weird old books and weird new books and not weird new books. Yeah. You know, all of it. Absolutely. I think collecting my, my father and my grandfather uh, were antiquarian book uh, collectors, and I, awesome. I got their got their collections at my, at my house. But what what brings the the passion for the the book collecting and, and the and like fine art book collecting or just the yeah. you know, first edition collecting? I, I mean, it's definitely when I when I go and buy books, it's definitely art books. Um, I have a background in graphic design. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where my passion for everything came from. Um, but for me, it's like, I was actually talking to a friend about this, uh, last week. I, I look at a book as like, not just the one thing, like, yes, it's an art piece or yes, it's about art, but it's all of these different decisions that ultimately result in a book. And it's like, okay, what paper was chosen? Mm-hmm. What typeface was it set in? Uh, was the cover designed by someone else? Is it an original art piece? Was the person that wrote the book, the same person that did the art? And there are all these different layers and layers and layers that ultimately create this one beautiful thing. And when I was having this conversation with my friend, I'm like, damn, a book, an art book is the exact same thing as a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And, mm. you know, that's like the that. restaurants about food. 
but it's about everything else happening and you know, mm-hmm. the experience that it creates. So I have that kind of like if, if something is more than the sum of its parts, I am in. Into that. I like that description. And for, for your collection – are you like trolling like Abe and eBay? Are you on? Uh, are you hitting the streets? Like where? You, where do you find your collection? Yeah, both definitely. Um, definitely hitting streets. I'm, I have a very constant art bookstore circuit in yeah. in Manhattan and Brooklyn. Um, and then yeah, I in a <laughs> maybe a little embarrassing, but every night before I go to bed, like in bed, my last thing is like eBay searching the guy that you know the the artists and uh, the grails basically the grails yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, and seeing if anything's popped up so I, I, it's always the last thing I do before I go to bed. That's cool. That's, I was just talking to my uh, colleague Elizabeth Barbanal this morning in an edit meeting. We were talking about like cookbooks as objects and just a long cool conversation. Yeah. So do you think cook, like are cookbooks art books? I think they definitely can be. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I would say most of the time no, they're not. Yeah. Um, in a traditional sense. Agree. Agree. Um, but they certainly can be. Yeah. I think it's the goal with a lot of books we publish here is to have at least some folks enter enter the book or buy the book based on the cover and aesthetics, not just the recipes. But it, it truly isn't like the number one goal for most of the books. For sure. For sure. And I think that's, you know, a good cover is one of the best things in the world. Yeah. It's it's scrutinized. You know, you got the commercial covers. You've got the, the mm-hmm. British covers with no food. <laughs> with nothing on it. Yeah, just graphic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I want to talk about your food writing career. It's yeah. cool. Uh, you joined Condé Nast as a production intern at Details, RIP Details. Yes, big time Great recipes. Details. What, what was Details like working there? I know a lot so, of people who worked there in the 90s, but I don't know. You probably worked there a little bit I later. worked there. Yeah, I worked at Details in 2013. Yeah, and later Details. Later Details. Yeah. It was also, I, be, I believe, much smaller Details definitely. at that time, too. They were definitely uh, downsizing. But I was, yeah, I worked in the graphic design department in the uh, marketing and ad sales side, actually. So interesting. I was doing design with them. I was also helping, you know, do events with the edit team. Um, it was a little bit of everything, but it was an awesome introduction into the world of publishing. Mm-hmm. I mean, just legendary editors there. And just like one of those publications that um, most of the folks running like men's magazines came out of details. Oh, yeah. Least, maybe not now, but like 10 years ago, that was like the deep bench that came from details. Big time. Big time. And when I was there, the I mean, I think they had probably the best men's styling department in media, you know, Eugene Tong and Justin yeah. Berkowitz. Uh, those guys are just amazing. Absolutely. And then so you ended up um, at BA uh, and, and heading over to Condé Nast. And, and then, so tell me, uh, at BA, uh, you started as an online editor. You you wrote like a lot of stories. Right? <laughs> I, yeah. So actually, the, the funny thing is I, I started as a production man, an assistant production manager oh, okay. at BA. Um, and I did that for maybe the first year and a half that I was there. Um, I, I really, I loved everyone I worked with. I loved Bon Appetit. <laughs> um, I really was unpleased with my job, or displeased yeah. rather. Yeah. Um, and I was like, damn, maybe I should ask the online editor at the time um, if I could write about beer, because no one else at the, yeah. at the magazine Emily Fleshaker, was she the editor? Uh, Emily was there, yeah. um, but it was also Stacy, and then Carrie was, was, Carrie, um, um, was uh, Carrie Polis. Polis, right. Um, and Carrie was like, you can do it if you can write. And I was like, she's like, can you write? I was like, well, how about you tell me if I, right, <laughs> if I yeah. can write? Um, <laughs> so yeah, I started, I started writing for the, the website about beer and then about booze more generally and then about other stuff um, yeah. while I was doing my production stuff. Oof. So then you ended up making that full-time editorial. <laughs> and the, yeah, they, they offered me a job as an assistant online editor um, about a year and a half after I started at BA. Uh, okay, so 
at BA, you're writing all all sorts of stories. You ended up writing a lot about restaurants, and food culture, and home cooking, and yeah. your, your passionate home cook yourself. We'll get into that. Uh, what what really was it like alcohol that you liked the most? We'll talk about coffee. What what what, yeah. what did you like to write about? I mean, we we briefly mentioned the the enthusiasm, but really anything that I was enthusiastic at sure, the time, um, enthusiastic about at the time. Um, but I, I really, I had kind of a joke. I don't think I've ever told anyone this. Um, I had kind of a joke with myself that was like, when I'm sitting down and writing leads for stories, it's like, how can I write a thing that has nothing to do with what I'm writing about and work it into this yeah. thing? So I always liked writing stories that didn't need to be written, but were uh, what I thought were good stories or funny stories or stories that, you know, maybe someone would laugh at or smile about. Um, but I really liked weird one-off stories and I really love like exhaustive guides to things mm-hmm. um, whether that's like eating on public transport or you know how to eat a slice of pizza I think my favorite thing I ever wrote was how to eat a slice of pizza and it was like a 2500 word mm-hmm. guide to eating a slice of pizza um, so stuff like that that again doesn't really need to be written but <laughs> I, I mean, wanted to <laughs> my friend that is that is the absolute um, encapsulation of writing for the food on the internet yeah. like truly like yeah. make the lead not about the thing and then write about Exhaustive topics that you love and exactly. have passion for. You, you, you know, we as editors try to try to do this. Like we try to capture like things that we love to like talk about with our friends on yeah. the pages. I mean, sometimes you can't do that all the time, but it's really the I think the the best food writing shows that enthusiasm on the page. Hell yeah, I one hundred percent agree. Um, but then uh, coffee. I, I want to talk about coffee because we I think we both share a love of coffee. We yes. we. we uh, both, uh, I think, look at the the cafe roaster differently than a a roast a cafe that has a multi roaster program, uh, and we think about coffee in those terms. And you you Instagram and write about coffee often. But what, let's just go there because I, I think coffee is fun to talk about. What why why do you like writing about coffee? Well, co- coffee is is one of those things. I I didn't start drinking coffee until I was twenty. 24 maybe it was just like not a thing that I cared about or liked and then I remember having a cup of coffee that was just like holy shit what Mm -hmm. am I and then I realized there's this entire world that I've not been exploring was it naturally processed it was not naturally processed no Um, it it's fun. I, I'm the type of person that, like, if there's something to dive into and explore and really just lose myself in I'm game like I, I will do it mm-hmm. um, and coffee was one of those things and I just kind of lost, and I was like, okay, I'm going to find the best coffee shops. I'm going to find the best cup of coffee. I'm going to find the coffee that I like making the most at home. I'm going to figure out how I like uh, to make coffee at home. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to me because it was kind of a lucky thing where I was discovering this thing that I loved, and I also had the ability to write about it as I was discovering it. And a lot of the discovery happened before I started writing about coffee. But you know, when you're into something, you're like, okay, I understand the basics of this. I'm going to dive into it further. Mm-hmm. Um, when that was happening for me, I was also like, oh wow, I'm a, I'm an, I'm an assistant web editor mm-hmm. at Bon Appetit. Hey, I can write about, put it, it together, <laughs> yeah. And then you can even learn more because you know, once you're writing about it, you can dive in interview roasters. Totally. I mean, in general, coffee is really tough to write about because you know there isn't a color element. There's no yeah. visual element. Yeah. Um, outside of branding, which is cool, but doesn't really tell you much. And of course, like. You know, hemispheres and grading coffee by hemispheres is so art, uh, esoteric to most. Totally. And then, of course, you talk about letting milk or not. But yeah, how do you educate? Because you, you are an educator, too. You do wine classes, and I'm sure you do some coffee work, too. How do you educate um, our listeners? How would you educate our listeners to appreciate coffee more? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's funny. People want rules, and people want, like, this is the thing I can follow to make sure that I'm getting the best possible coffee. And... 
I, I, I like to use like, you know, people are always like, oh, is Colombian coffee the best? Oh, is Ethiopian coffee the best? And it's mm-hmm. like, there is not a yes or no answer to that. Uh, the yeah. other day, too, I was I was drinking a really amazing cup of Brazilian coffee. And mm-hmm. in the coffee community, historically, Brazilian coffee has been, like, looked down upon because they grow so much Robusta coffee. It's the commodity it's, coffee. Exactly. Yeah. And it is so cheap. And it is so, you know, it's yeah. like what every grocery store really cheap mm-hmm. coffee brand uses. Um, and I was drinking a, a, a Brazilian coffee that was one of the best coffees I tasted in a really, really long time. And I was like, holy shit. Um, but I think going back to your question, sorry, that was a bit of a tangent. No, it's um, I think that one, it's about knowing, uh, familiarizing yourself with people who respect coffee. And there are people that are like, Hey, we started this great coffee brand. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, but is, do you like coffee? Are you mm-hmm. roasting coffee because you love it? Are you passionate about it? Um, I think finding the difference between people that are serving you coffee and serving you something that they really respect and love is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you said about roaster cafes, I think that when I get to a new city, when I am in New York, I'm always looking for people that roast their own coffee and serve it. Because to me, that's kind of the easiest way to look at someone and say, okay, you want control of this entire yep. process. You've made that extremely expensive, extremely challenging yes. choice to roast and serve at the same time. Exactly. It's a rarity. It is. And it's always fun. I talk about uh, cafes uh, with a lot of my coffee friends in New York, and we always say there's like the trifecta is the cafe that roasts their own coffee, serves their own coffee, and does all of their baked goods oh, sick, in-house. Yeah. And I think right now there are only two in New York, mm. and it's Abrasso and La Cabra. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, so I'm, this, is a, this is a call. Yeah, La Cabra <laughs> is new to my life, and man, I, I loved my I, – I know they were doing a single-origin uh, – Naturally processes Ethiopian, like, yeah, delicious coffee, yeah, and of course that cardamom bun. Oh my god, it's so good! And yeah. I love that you bring up naturally processed coffee yeah. too, because that I I pitched a naturally processed coffee story maybe like <laughs> fifteen times. times at Bon Appetit, <laughs> and it was always like, "We'll do it, we'll do it." Yada. Yeah, and yeah. I got to the point where I just wrote it, like I wrote the entire yeah. thing, and I was like, "There will be a day when this <laughs> is published," and it never got published. Yeah, it's a tough one. Listener, naturally processed coffee versus washed coffee, you should Google that. I'll I'll link to an an article we published on taste in the show notes. But um, if you see naturally processed coffee on a menu, well, first off, if you see a coffee menu, you should should totally. (laughs) That's a good sign. Yeah, good sign. Um, I I love we could go coffee all day, but we have a lot to cover. You know, BA, I want to bring up, you know, I don't want to relitigate about, you know, your departure from BA. You've, You've written about it. You've been open about it. Um, and plenty has been spilled about that. What I do want to ask you, though, um, after that experience, after leaving BA and having several years now between your time at Bon Appetit and now, um, what characteristics do you admire in a leader? And what would you seek in a leader in a newsroom situation or a magazine situation? Sure. Um, I think that for me, probably the most important thing is trust. Um, Trust in multiple ways, but mostly in the fact that a leader in a newsroom can trust his or her or their employees to bring something to the table that they don't know about. And they can trust the knowledge that they bring to the table to, you know, fill in gaps that they're kind of clueless on. Um, I think that building a staff of people that all know different things than you know is an incredibly important thing, not just in media or newsroom, but in any company. Um mm-hmm. That's something that I, I really, really think is important. Um, and then also, you know, vision in a way that is not um, narrow, a, a broad scope in terms of, okay, 
we're a food magazine or, okay, we're a sports magazine. Um, uh, what does that mean for things other than food and sports? How does this brand live in other places? Mm-hmm. How does it live off of a page or a screen? I think like the ability to look at the full scope of a brand or an organization outside of just where they live immediately is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, treat your staff respectfully. Yeah, as you would want to be treated. I think yeah. also it's not just what you know, but who you, who you are and where you come from too. Yes. So having a diverse um, just composite uh, for your for your staff, like just div- like diversity and inclusion is important. Absolutely agree. Um, I want to know about indie publishing because I think you do some consulting, um, but I wanted to ask you about food media because I, I think you're tapped into some cool things and yeah, the future of food media, excellent. tell me about it. Just kidding, <laughs> not going to go there, but I guess... You um, have a strong point of view about about what you like and don't like in in food, and I respect it. So I want to get a sense of you know in food media, you know what are we missing right now? Yeah, I <laughs> uh, I might not be the man with all the answers. Yeah, here. I'm, I'm um, not going to expect you to be. But I I will say this: I think the, kind of the next generation it, it is walking a really tough line right now. Of yeah. you know if you're if you've been in the media industry and the food industry, everything, I don't want to say everything has been done, but as you progress further and further and further, there's fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer original things to consider or write about or think about or create. Um, And I always go back to this quote. I think that's a really dangerous place to be in because it puts people, it forces people to think, okay, I need to be different. I need to be original. I need to stand out. and that, to me, is like the ultimate death of anything good. I don't think anything good comes from that approach to creating. Um, I think of this this quote by Paul Rand, who is a famous graphic designer. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, uh, don't try to be original, try to be good. And to me, that's like we're at that point right now where the easy path is to just do some weird shit. And like no one else is doing this. It's going to be cool because we're the only ones. I think the approach that people should still keep in mind is like, let's create good work. Let's mm-hmm. create good content. Let's create a good magazine or a good website. If it's good, originality will be a symptom of of that good work. Shout out to the Paul Rand quote. Like that a lot, like Paul Rand. Yes. I like uh, what you're saying a lot. And I, I think um, one element, we're going media criticism right here. We're going media analysis here, listeners. Sorry uh, if you're not <laughs> doing it, but we're doing it. I think one thing that becomes in into play is the advertiser, yes. right? So, like, you are forced as a publication to do uh, a package on cruises or a package on yeah. pumpkins, or the fuck, like, and <laughs> big pumpkin, big, is pump, is big pumpkin, yeah, 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 like big, like big in main, like main pumpkin organization wants you to do something because you're trading money, and maybe it's not you directly, the editor, but it's somebody around you. Um, so it's hard then because you want to be weird and different because you like are being forced to do, like do that package about. Uh, cranberry sauce. Yeah. But you don't want to be the same cranberry sauce. So I think you are right. Like, it is a fine line right now. Cause it, but I do agree quality will always reign supreme totally. when it comes to food media. You Like, you just can't counter-program too much. No, you can't. You can't. And that's the other thing that we're also at this point now where, like, you know, when there's too much counterculture counterculture becomes the culture. And you're, <laughs> and you're, and you're living in this place that's like, okay, well... Shit! Now my original idea is like everyone else's original idea. So it's it's a it's a fine line. My Midwestern mother always says imitation is the highest form of flattery. Which <laughs> yeah. uh, I think you share all that's beautiful thought. But sometimes when you're an editor, it just isn't great. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Agree. 
I brought up media because I think what you've just launched, everything good, and I'll link to it in the show notes, I think it's cool and different because you've you've kind of taken uh, the idea of service journalism and restaurant recs, but you've, ta- you've stripped out any kind of visual identification and visual aesthetic, and you've put it on a Google Doc. Yeah. So I want to hear about what everything good is and – and really uh, why the Lower East Side is your first <laughs> destination. Um, yeah, so Everything Good is something that has been kind of bouncing around the inside of my head for a while. Um, I've, guides have always been my favorite thing, um, and I think they're one of the hardest things to do when you're talking about food, when you're talking about fashion, when you're talking about anything. Um, in my eyes, I wanted a guide that came from one person, and that person obviously is me. Um, and I wanted a guide that was not just one-dimensional. It was truly an exhaustive 360-degree guide of a thing, and that thing is a neighborhood. Um, so Everything Good is essentially a guide of bars, restaurants, coffee shops, bakeries, bookstores, clothing boutiques, art galleries, um, any and all things that I think are good in a specific neighborhood. Um, and yeah, I started with the Lower East Side. Um, it's a it's a hot neighborhood right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, it sure is. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you about Dime Square because it's it's beyond a parody at this point. I mean, oh the idea of this restaurant Dimes being the center of this 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 focal point of culture during the pandemic, and uh, I have to ask you about just w- w- this cultural moment around Dime Square and like yeah. the, the little canal, right? The or drunken drunken canal, drunken yeah. canal uh, publication. Uh, what do you think about all that? I so I have a very uh, Weird bird's eye view, quite literally bird's yeah. eye view of this whole thing. So I, I was li- I lived in the Lower East Side on Canal and Eldridge from 2018 to 2021, and I lived in this really weird building. And off of my living room, you could walk out of my tiny little living room onto the roof of the building, and you could walk all the way to the corner, <laughs> and you would sit on the corner with like a beer on, on this roof, and you could literally see everything that was happening mm. in quote-unquote Times Square. Mm. Um, And watching it at the beginning of the pandemic be just like this empty kind of, you know, nothing going on. I would walk to Servos and when they were doing the little bodega thing and I would get my cutlet sandwich and I would Mm. go back to work at home and it was a nice little breath of fresh air. But watching it quite literally roll and the snowball roll and roll Mm. and roll and roll and roll and and then you look down and on a Friday at 5.30 the entirety of that three block stretch is just covered in people Mm -hmm. drinking and sitting and eating dinner. It was a really, really, I think, amazing thing to witness until, you know, you get to that point where it's like, oh, fuck, wait, there are too many people here. (laughs) Oh, wait, there are too many people that don't live here. Mm -hmm. here. Okay, there are too many people that, you know, just want to be here to be here. Um, it was interesting, to say the least. I mean, you write about it in the intro to Everything Good, the LES version about how this isn't a parody or a screenplay pitch for Dime, or Dime Square, which yeah. I think is great. And, yeah, I mean, I, I like that you're being honest because it is exciting. You shouldn't, like, snark on the idea of, like, restaurants doing well. Servos is a great restaurant. Like, it is. Shout out to Servos. And Dimes is probably a good restaurant, too. Probably. It's not in your list. <laughs> it's not. All right, so list. this is funny. So you, you, like, make it very clear, like, there may be, there are some things missing, and it's because, like, I chose that. Yeah. So Dimes is not in there, but the market is in there. So. Yes. And and it's funny because, like, that's the kind of thing I think about a lot is, like, I'm not going to tell you not to go to a place, but I will tell you that, like, I'm not going to go to that place. I don't – it's up to you whether you yeah. do what you want to do. Um, so that was kind of the approach. And I'm – and I think one of the things that we talked about at BA a lot was that – it's not our job to shit on places. Like, it's not our job to talk shit about people trying to run a business unless they're doing it in an irresponsible way that's harming people. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And th- with this guide, like, I didn't want to put a section that was like, hey, don't go to blah, blah, blah. Hey, don't go to, you know, this place is shitty, you know, whatever. Um, so exclusion to me was the was the way to achieve that. It's, it's, it's just like a very easy and unspoken way to, to make your opinion really well known. So. Exactly. And why Google Doc? And, like, you have a few images in there from your iPhone, but you're not designing it. And, you know, you're we just talked about your love of design books, so, like, aesthetics are yeah. important. But you've gone the Google Doc route, and you're not charging for it, but you have a charitable component, which I think is dope. You're not on Substack. <laughs> I'm not. Right? No. <laughs> I'm sure you've been approached by Substack to do something. I, I have. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the Google Doc thing kind of came about for a couple different reasons. One, um, I, you know, to me, the medium is the message, right? And there's something about a recommendation that I think a good recommendation is not something that you have to pay for or, or you know, be a certain type of person to get. Like, if you can click on a Google Doc or, you, or someone can send you a map or whatever, like, you're worthy of that recommendation. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. You're a human being. Like, you should, you should be able to know um, cool spots to, to go and, and broaden your horizons. But um, it, it's part of the thing is, like, I look at a neighborhood as a very 360-degree thing. Like, I, there are people that go and say, hey, I was in the Lower East Side last night. I'm like, okay, cool. What'd you do? And they're like, oh, well, we hit a servos. And I was like, cool. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, and then we went home to Clinton Hill. <laughs> I was like, like, okay, cool. Um, but I wanted a place that, like, there was no restriction for how much I could yeah. include. And a Google Doc is an endless scroll. It's so great. Yeah, um, absolutely. There's no limit. There's no word count. Exactly. And and I wanted to, like I said, I think about a neighborhood is not just the one thing you're there for. Um, there's, you know, I think the, one of the ultimate cliches in food media is the travel like a local. You know, oh, and, and it's just like, oh, my Oof. God. Oof. And I'm like... And I'm like, okay, well, by definition, you're never going to do that. You're not going to travel and go to the hardware store. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but shout out uh, Chinatown Lumber. That They did not make it on the list, but they are amazing. <laughs> go visit Chinatown Lumber. Yeah, I'm sure there's a place where you could, like, get your cable fixed. Like, there's, Ex- like, a, there's, like yes. a Spectrum store somewhere in, in the Lower East Side. Exactly. Um, but while I was thinking about the guide, I was kind of like, okay, how? what other component can I add to this that will benefit the neighborhood, not in yeah. um, necessarily a people-visiting way, but in a more financial way? And there's really amazing charity that I try and support whenever I can. It's called the Henry Street Settlement, um, and they're based in the Lower East Side. They uh, provide an unbelievable list of, um, of services from health care to child care to arts programming um, to uh, you know shelter and, and basic human needs, um, and they provide all of this to the residents of the Lower East Side. And to me, it was just kind of a no-brainer. It's like if I'm going to tell people to come to this neighborhood – I hope that they would give back to the neighborhood in a way that's not just about supporting a business. That's a great share. I love Henry Street Settlement. And also, uh, I'll link to it again. It's everything good. And if you like it, you can donate. Um, there's information on the page where you can donate. So let's get into a few. I just think we've talked about servos, but like a couple of the restaurants, just like for our listeners who are coming to New York um, this fall, this now in the summertime, yeah. where should they hit up? Um, okay, so I'll, I'll give you three from the guide. Yeah. Um, I would say... Uh, a, a favorite that I feel like is slept on so frequently is uh, Duska, which is a it's a hand roll spot um, that's on the corner of Allen and Delancey. Unbelievably priced, you can get like a six hand roll set for mm-hmm. like thirty five or thirty eight bucks. Um, the fish is unbelievably good, and it's kind of where a lot of omakase chefs that I talk to are like, oh, like yeah, we go to Duska after work, and mm-hmm. like yeah, um, so Duska is amazing. Uh, I would also say Factory Tamal is a for, forever yeah. favorite. Uh, those guys are 
the best, the nicest, mm-hmm. and they make the best mole poblano uh, tamal in Manhattan easily. Um, and then I would also say Sobak. I'm I'm absolutely fucking obsessed with Sobak. Yeah, Sobak, right on. Shout it out. Sobak yes. is cool. Okay. Yeah. Sobak, so Sobak is this little tiny spot right next to Dimes. Yeah. Um, it's run by one man. He is the only person that works there. He has maybe three things on his mm-hmm. menu, um, and his uh, essentially like uh, gochujang eel uh, mm-hmm. dish. It's just steamed white rice, uh, a really amazing spicy, uh, spicy sweet eel, and a really thinly shaved cabbage salad with a ginger dressing mm-hmm. is probably my favorite thing to eat in the Lower East Side right now. It is so good. I get it probably once a week. That's cool. Like, good way to shout out Sobak. We'll definitely make sure to call that one out in the show notes as well. Yeah. Um, three non-restaurant food places to visit in the Lower East Side. Yeah. Um, one is uh, this really amazing spot called Bungie Space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bungie Space is a coffee shop slash bookstore slash um, clothing boutique slash art gallery, mm. I guess. Um, but it's on Stanton in between Bowery and uh, Forsyth. Mm. Or sorry, uh, Christie. Um it's just a really cool spot. You walk in there and you're like, I feel like I'm transported to a different planet. The book selection is amazing. The coffee is really good. Mm-hmm. Just a cool spot. It's really like your shit. Like, oh, yeah, 100. Absolutely. I'm like, I walked in and I'm like, damn, someone made a place for me. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really fucking cool. Yeah. Um, and then I would say I, I have to shout them out because it's my favorite pantry cheese shop in, in the city. Uh, Formaggio Essex and Essex Market mm-hmm. is just, it's not the biggest shop. It's not the craziest selection but it is the best selection of everything and you can go and you can get your sliced rosemary ham and you can get your little wheel of harbison and you can get any possible jarred vegetable marinated pickled whatever you can get your tin fish it's such a good pantry store um if I'm hosting anything, I will be there the morning of. I bought the gifts day there. I bought gifts. I, I stop by Essex usually before I go home for the holidays, and I always yeah. pick up a bunch of stuff there. And Essex is cool because it's Essex Market. You know, it has changed location like three years ago. At this point, it's really kind of been finally marinated now. It feels like it's finally has a bit of a its soul, right? Yeah, yeah. big time, big time. Yeah, it, it, there was a weird. Mm. point when you were like, do they know what's happening? What, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, here? what is this place? There's yeah, exactly. a lot of empty spaces. Exactly. Um, yeah, so it's it's uh, Formaggio, forever shout out to Formaggio. Cool. So I have to ask you your next uh, your next neighborhood to cover and how often are you going to update this? Okay, so that... Yeah, everyone's asking <laughs> Great this. question. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have no idea how yeah. often I'm going to, going to cover. The next neighborhood that I'm going to cover, I, ideally I would like to put out a guide at least once a month, maybe mm, every... Dang. Yeah, it's, it's going to wow. be, it's going to be frequent. Right? Yeah. And not frequent, but like frequent enough. I would like to do it even more frequently than that, but I also don't want to run through neighborhoods like... Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, and actually I'm, I'm open to suggestions here, Matt, so if, <laughs> if, you, if you have any neighborhood ideas... Got some thoughts. I... Um, the first thing in my mind was that I wanted to actually launch with all of downtown Manhattan, and I started doing a lot of work. I have a lot of work done for most of that, mm-hmm. um, but then I decided I wanted to pare back a little bit and just do neighborhood by neighborhood. Um, so the next one that I'm planning on releasing is a guide to Soho and NoHo. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, good. It's a very funny neighborhood, and I think there's just like so many wrong turns you can I mean, make. I was going to say, like, a very bad neighborhood. I'm <laughs> yeah, oh, sorry. Totally. Oh, no, no. It's terrible. It's terrible. But there is some, like, in NoHo, there is some, I think NoHo actually underrated neighborhood. Ah. Soho, overrated, for sure. Interesting. Um, but, yeah, I think that's what might be coming up. Or I don't want to go Lower East Side into uh, East Village and Alphabet City because I think East Village and Alphabet City is arguably the best neighborhood in New York, period, for 
a 360 degree thing. Yeah, I used to live there for three years. I, f- yeah. I mean, there like oh two to 05. That was such a blessed time to be in New York. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I don't know. What do you think I should go for? Okay, I, I, I wrote you that I have some thoughts. For, I mean, the first is Koreatown because, and yes. that's and that's like twenty eighth to thirty sixth, yes. like which is now the footprint of Koreatown in Manhattan. It used to be considered only thirty second Street as Koreatown, but that that footprint is much larger now. And I think it's also one of the the cooler neighborhoods with a lot of wrong turns. It, it really Agree. is a and the problem. With 32nd is that it's been bought out by the major Korean companies and, and international money has flown in. And a lot of those wonderful restaurants that were there in the early 2000s and the 90s um, are gone, long gone. Yeah. But I think there's the spirit of those restaurants uh, popping up, you know, a little bit on the outskirts on 31st Street. Totally, totally. So I'd, I'd, I'd welcome your suggestion. I'd also say like the Hudson Valley Yes, like Alex uh, Delaney does the Hudson Valley. There will be there will be a Hudson Valley guy. I think Hudson Valley needs a fresh set of eyes. I live there now, and I have my I, I live in like the cool and quote lesser cool part of Hudson Valley. But I feel like a fresh set of eyes could be good. I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I'll say. No, no, no. That's cool. So um, I appreciate that because I, I think that uh, you should definitely check out uh, everything good. What's the best way? Do we subscribe to your feed? Um, yeah, I mean it's on. A, it's in a highlight on my uh, Instagram profile page. It's just everything good. Uh, there is also um, there. There will be a link in my profile too. Cool. So yeah. follow follow Alex on on, on Instagram and, and check out that highlight for the the link. Okay, so I want to ask you like a lightning round to close uh, a little bit about Good Media. Good Media is your brand. Uh, I, I joke, but I think that's that's truly it. So we're in the you know Penguin Random House. We, we produce a lot of books here. So I, <laughs> yes. What about th- cookbooks and food books that are certainly like things that you go back to? They don't have to be new necessarily, but I'd like to get your take. Sure, it's um, a tough question. I, I'm recognizing. And these are these are I get three right. Yeah, you get three. Okay, cool. You get three. Um, one lightning round. One is a book actually I was looking at last night. Um, it's the first book that I ever bought and, you know, as from an Anthony Bourdain recommendation, but uh, Fergus Henderson's uh, Nose and Tail, Whole Beast. Um, for the condiment section alone, yeah. that book is worth whatever they're charging for it. It's such a good one. The recipes are so simple. They're written beautifully and weirdly, casually. It's amazing. So, Are we talking about condiments like the aiolis and the aiolis? Yes, um, and like green bean chutney Mm -hmm. and, you know, horseradish sauce and anchovy dressing. It's it's just like all of these amazing simple things that make literally anything you put them on better. Yeah. Um, Which is the kind of cooking that I like. I like um, modular cooking, if if you will. Um, And then I would also say... um, from a non-cookbook standpoint, uh, from but still a food book standpoint, um, a, 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 an artist designer uh, that I collect, uh, his books, um, is Bruno Monari, and he did a book called Roses in the Salad. Um, and it's just a really amazing visual representation of vegetables, uh, cross-cut and stamped in ink and just done like cool. pressed uh, cross-cut vegetable prints. and. Mm. It's really beautiful, and it's really it just makes me really happy to look at, and it's very childlike, and it's just inspiring to me. Um, definitely check that out. Uh, and then the last one is actually a book that I bought earlier in the year um, that I have been recommended a lot, and it's just like it, to me, it's the it, the best example I've seen recently of a cookbook being more than a cookbook, not quite an art book, not quite 
anything at all, just a really amazing thing. Um, and it's a book by Danny Licht called Cooking As Though You Might Cook Again. Wow, what a title. It is. How did that title get through? <laughs> I, I have no idea. But it's a small. It's small. It's yeah. a very small book. Um, and the recipes are written in just such a poetic, lyrical, mm. amazing way. Um, and they're not necessarily about measurements. Like, I don't think he includes a measurement in the entire... Book. Wow. So, th- I mean, he's really like creating a, an environment and like a, a, a world with these. Yes. When he's, when he's writing, he's not actually giving you instructions. Totally. And and you could, and it's funny, the title, you know, is Cooking as Though You Might Cook Again. Yeah. You could read the book without the intention of cooking anything sure. in the book. And it's just as entertaining. That's Danny Licht? Yes. L I C H T. I'll check that out. Is that in translation or is that English language? Um, English language. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And it's, I think, uh, Three Whole Press is. Uh, the publishing company there, but I might be wrong. That's no, a, I'm pretty sure it's three whole. Great. Uh, great picks, Alex. I, I, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with two or three, so I like that. Uh, let's talk about indie food publications because I feel like uh, we talked about food media, but we were mostly referring to like major ad back media. Sure, and, sure. But like, what about like indie? Like the indie food media scene is pretty cool right now. So what are you liking right now? Big time. Um, well, at this point, the only food scene that matters, uh, cake scene. Absolutely. <laughs> shout out to up. Eliza. Shout out to Eliza. We have to shout out Eliza. Yeah, cake um, scene is great. Cake scene is Awesome. Highly, highly recommend. Um, there is another indie publication coming from London called Paperboy mm-hmm. um, that I really, really love. And it's not a food publication, but it is a publication that involves food um, almost always. Mm-hmm. And the last issue they did, they did a very simple photo story about um, tea biscuits. And oh, cool. there there were no there was no other information besides a photo of the biscuit and the name of the biscuit and where it's from and it was the food story that has made me the happiest in like a real, macro really macro like, shots like a a biscuit no not even macro like a yep. biscuit sitting on a white piece of paper oh, and geez. it's just a photo of of the biscuit and it's cool so good and i i can't I, now you're like damn he likes really boring stuff no no um, it's, <laughs> it's simplicity and it's hard to execute i love it yeah um it it was great but that's an indie an indie publication that i'm always a huge fan of yeah. um the paperboy definitely check out mm-hmm. paperboy um and then last is a is a publication that is no longer in existence, but I recently kind of dove into. Um, and it's from 2014, 2016, 2017, and it's called White Zinfandel. Mm, no um, idea. Yeah, cool. it's not a – it's really tough to find copies of it, but there's plenty of imagery of it online. It's a it's an art food magazine. Um, I think they did maybe seven issues. It was a, it was a bi, uh, biannual mm-hmm. publication, and each issue revolves around the topic – the imagery, the photo, the stories are just so, so good um, and really unlike anything in a way that doesn't feel forced but just feels like, oh, we did this thing and it was made by artists and designers and it's really fucking cool. I will uh, seek that out. Is that part of those uh, before you go to bed at eBay uh, searches for that? Definitely. Wait, Zin, definitely. Wait, definitely. Um, I want to talk about your podcast. You have yeah. your own. Uh, it is interviews and conversations about music uh, and you kind of do a mix yourself what's, what's yes. the story let's yeah it. so I have um, it's funny it, music is something that I think is probably my ultimate love in life um, I obviously love food and I've made a career with food mm-hmm. but music is something that to me has always been the most important thing um, in terms of my own personal enjoyment yeah um, and yeah so I, I have a I have a radio show called Sound Radio um, and the idea is that each week I pick six songs that I love that I've been listening to and I tell you a little bit about them uh, that's the first half of the show and on the second half of the show I invite a 
guest on to bring six songs that they love, um, whether they're new, old, you know, whatever genre it may be, and tell me why. Uh, Ooh, they you love put them. them, you grill them a little bit. Okay, grill them a little bit. Yeah, um, but it's also about you know, it's a little bit about food and drink. Each week, we uh, talk right. about the best thing we've eaten and or drank each week. Pretty it's fun. yeah, it's good. It's fun. I will link to that. That sounds great. Uh, what's the, what were you listening to when you're taking the subway over here? Or walking, um, I'm not sure I got here. I was listening to a new album by Michael Ralt. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a Canadian singer-songwriter that lives in L.A. He just put out a new album that's absolutely fantastic. Uh, I think the best song is probably the first track on the album. It's called All Night Long. It's really, oh, really, it's, he, it's he, like... Not a cover. Not a cover. Clear. Not a cover. It's wow. um, bold. Yeah, I would say it's... Uh, it's um, BG's falsetto meets uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young harmonies Sick. meets a little bit of cosmic synth action. I it's like really that. good. I will check that out. Uh, Alex, we asked all guests on the Taste Podcast if you could write a cookbook or food culture book without the burden of time, meaning there's no deadline or budget, meaning you have unlimited money. <laughs> Love that idea. Truly, like you know, you could spend the world. What would that book be? I've been really obsessed with a book by um, a French artist called Sophie Call. Um, and she did this book called uh, Take Care of Yourself. And it was basically uh, she was broken up with via email. Her <laughs> ex-lover sent her an email breaking up. It was a long email. And she got 107 women to translate the email via their pers- via their like respective careers. So a police captain, a translator, a speech pathologist. Uh, and it's it was a, a very in-depth examination of this one letter. So I would like to do something similar with a recipe, Mm -hmm. a very vaguely written recipe, and give it to a lot of people Mm -hmm. with a lot of different jobs, doing a lot of different things in and out of food and see what they do with the... So it'd be like their interpretation of how the how the recipe would taste, but also like the origins of the recipe, yes. like maybe yes. poke holes in the methodology. Is that totally. kind of what Sophie totally. was doing with the breakup letter? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. What, uh, what recipe, would there be an ingredient that you would throw in there until it would offer kind of a lot of interpretation? Well, I mean, I think like... I don't know what is that. There would, it would have to revolve around chicken at some point, right? I, uh, I, I or mean, eggs, maybe. I think an egg is what I went through right away. Or rice, maybe rice. Rice is a lot. I, I think rice is like culture, like for the world. That's a great pick. Yes. I think eggs is like there's like a, many ways to cook and mess up an egg. Oh, 100 percent. It's also like fertility. So there's like a metaphor there. Totally, oh, totally. There well, are layers. We, this we have layers. I hope you do this, Alex. I do too. Now I'm going to go do it. Alex Delaney, thank you so much for joining the Taste Podcast. Matt, thank you so much for having me. The Taste Podcast is hosted by me, Matt Rodbard. It's produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumber. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening. <laughs>